Hello, welcome to Film Disruptors, episode five. My name is Alex Stoltz, and this show is all about the trailblazers, the entrepreneurs, the risk takers who are disrupting film, whether that's in storytelling, financing, distribution. And today, my guest sits across all of those spaces, in fact, is Anna Higgs. Anna is creative director at Nowness, which is a digital platform which curates, produces, and distributes a wide range of original work. And Anna is in a really interesting space. She sits between audiences, brands, artistic creators, and we cover all of those things in a wide-ranging conversation. If you want to find out more, check out the home of Film Disruptors, alexstoltz.com, where you can find out more about Anna and our other guests sign up for updates and get in touch thank you for everyone who has already and uh, really appreciate your feedback thank you for listening and now i'm going to hand you over to anna higgs and i started today's show by asking anna about her new role at nowness So I'm creative director at Nowness, which means I'm responsible for all the creative strategy across our commissioning, our curation and the channel itself. Uh, Nowness is, I guess, raison d'etre is to make the very best short films around. Uh, we make exclusive, we premiere the film, so exclusive, surprising and, and really, I think, emotive cinematic work. Which, and the entire aim is to inspire and engage audiences. The the name Nowness came from uh, a session and a collaboration back when Nowness was founded by Jefferson Hack and LVMH in 2010. He brought together a whole bunch of artists and they the idea was that Nowness was a sense of the perpetual moment and an idea of an inspirational experience that you carry with you for the rest of your day and that it enlightens your life or gives you a new uh, view or a vision of something. Um, it's really varied uh, and it's a digital channel that does have a .com home, so a, a site that it's, is, I guess, the purest experience of Nowness. But actually, it's really uh, platform agnostic. So we're out our Vimeo, our YouTube, our Facebook, Instagram, etc., and all of our distribution partners right around the world are just as important a place to have audience, to go to audience and get audience to engage with us. And for me, coming out of film four, it was a really incredible opportunity to learn at the cutting edge of audience because we're able to put out really bold risk taking stuff and see how it works with our global audience in a really immediate way. We have a big data screen in the office so I can see it at any one point, how many people are on the site and on our various other channels, where they're from, what they're watching, how long they're watching it for. It's a really ordinary kind of quite visceral uh, experience. Um, we work predominantly in series, uh, so we commission short form films that bolt into existing series, either formats or more uh, individual kind of author led episodes around a theme. And that's a way of building ever greater audience engagement. And it's engagement that's our key focus. For, for nowness, there's no value in 5 million views on Facebook if half of them were under three seconds, which is the kind of current stat is about 50% of Facebook video views are under three seconds because people are just scrolling past the auto starting video. And what we do is measure our engage, engagement in a whole range of ways to ensure that we're understanding what does and doesn't work. But 
really vitally and what I think separates us from a lot of other digital players in the the so-called, in inverted commas, battle for attention is that we're informed by our data but not led by it. First and foremost, and why I was attracted to the role when I was approached uh, to to look at it, is that the creative integrity and, and commitment to finding bold new ways to tell stories always comes first. Our creative reputation is what has to be at the forefront um, rather than chasing a particular number of hits or chasing a particular commercial, a single commercial opportunity. Mm-hmm. And... And our work's designed in terms of kind of what our model is, if thinking about the, the, the balance of commercial and creative, is designed to be a virtuous circle. And I, I was brought in to really solidify Nowness in its move from, it started in 2010 as a blog and as a more magazine-y. There was some video, there was some stills, there was a lot more editorial written content Um and I was brought in to really solidify its approach as a channel and as a, a, a media brand. And so our work designed to be a virtual circle. We have a commissioning budget, which we make our in-house series with. That set, those sets of series build a highly engaged audience, which in turn creates value for brands to work with us. So a small amount of the work we make in Premiere on the channel is branded content, but it's, and, and that work pays for Nowness to operate. But the nowness offering in the branded content space is that we make films that, again, are creatively led. They are films that we would want to make as nowness anyway, and we make them designed to chime with the brand's ethos or particular themes the brand wants to explore. But we're not making a commercial. We're not making the 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 super obvious, I guess, end of branded content. That's really interesting. So that's the the business model essentially is it's yes it's working with brands and creators so it's, it's a beautiful um virtuous circle have you got a an example what, what what example um would you would you cite of a, a great piece of content which has been funded by a brand so i hate the word content Sorry. um but it's okay uh, i just feel like that's something <laughs> content is what you fill a bucket with yeah. uh and I, so the, a good example i would say is of that very very creatively led approach would be the series we've just actually launched the final film in a series of five of that we did with audi so audi were launching a new car the q2 and the idea was that the that the their agency developed ddb out of barcelona was the idea of hashtag untaggable so the notion that the best things in life are impossible to define and and obviously you can access some of those best things in life if you buy a q2 because it will get you it's a, a kind of suv hybrid car that will be great in urban situations and do all sorts of wonderful things in the countryside too um that all of that information is covered in the standard commercials and all of the usual campaign but for audi they wanted to for the first time look at doing a digital first campaign and also they wanted to try and approach their stories in a different way so that they might engage a different audience and also have audience stay engaged in the storytelling so we uh, they came directly to nowness they'd seen giovanni the worldwide head of marketing for audi had seen nowness's work and really admired us as a creative label and saw the power in the way that we tell stories and asked us to come up with a series of films that we would make under this banner of untaggable. So we worked with five really distinct and different filmmakers to make five different films around different hashtag topics. So the last one that we just premiered is hashtag city. 
and that is Kibwe Tabares, the filmmaker and his collective Factory 15, looking at the, uh, the indefinability of the experience of living in a city. And he melds together four different cities. Uh, you follow these four different women characters through this world. It's a really amazing kind of creative, uh, a thrill ride through the urban experience and the idea of subcultures and the, the fact that you don't know what's around the corner at any one moment in the, in whatever city you are. So there's a sense of a uniqueness, but also a shared experience to life in the city. And it's, it's really about finding the ways to do that were about identifying brilliant filmmakers who could tell stories in really interesting new ways is doing a lot of development work in-house about how we can ensure that we are protecting, making sure we're communicating the brand values, but at the same time protecting a really distinct and um, nowness style film so that it will resonate with our audience. And in a lot of ways, that work is the same as my work was at Film 4. So helping partners and creators understand how to grab these new approaches, how to tell stories in these new ways because then what you're able to explore is the opportunity to make deeper, longer and more valuable connections with those audiences. Mm -hmm. Well, that's really interesting uh, to hear you say that because it sounds like you're, you're completely at the forefront of that uh, emerging area of, of brands and creative work. <laughs> I won't say content. You're quite right. <laughs> you're quite right. Um, and, uh, and it's, yeah, it's really interesting to see how, how those can be, um, holistically, uh, holistically joined up. Do you, do you see the episodic content as being the most ideal format for that kind of partnership? Is there, are, are there ambitions to create feature length, um, uh, works as well? I, the episodic content works really well in terms of building a more meaningful relationship with the audience. With the five films across the Audi project, we're able to look at five different interest areas. So you can push into different um, specialisms or niches or, or fandoms of particular things. But then by having them, them as a series of five, you can cross pollinate audience between stuff they might not know they like, but could fall in love with and be inspired by in different ways. Um, I do think there's a great opportunity for us to explore longer form content um, all the way up to feature form content. A lot of the filmmakers we work with are making features. Uh, but for me, it's about looking at what the best form for the sort of story that wants to be told. It's it's really interesting. The kind of length question is one that you that we come up against quite a lot we'd rather work in a series of at least three films rather than one we do make one-off films for brands but we are kind of are learning from our own series as you can connect with audiences better in across series but you're the thing we're already pushing the barriers when we're looking at films that are three four five six minutes long in the branded content space creatives are being told a lot of the time these days to make things shorter and shorter and more and more obvious agencies are telling clients the world over to make something that's 30 seconds long because no one will watch anything longer no. for us that's only people aren't watching longer than 30 seconds because what you're making is unengaging so i'm you know, I think there are arguments to be had about what length, and I'd love to see more feature length stuff being supported by brands. I think there's a real exciting opportunity in that space. But at the moment, kind of getting people to think beyond 30 seconds is quite a challenge. So mm -hmm. we'll see. Um, do, you, do you develop 
stories in house? Are you, are you constantly developing ideas for for films and projects which you think, and then when a brand comes in, oh, this would be perfect for Audi, or this would be ideal for another partner, or or is it always starting from scratch and people come to you and then you say, okay, right, let's let's think about what we could do. It's a combination. So we have a whole range of, we have a set of flagship series that we repeat each year that have become core to the uh, Nowness brand. So those are things like My Apartamento, which is an editorial collaboration with the magazine Apartamento, In Residence, which is our series that looks at architecture and, and the, the worlds that architects design for themselves and their own homes. Uh, Define Beauty, which is a really provocative series that explores and, and provokes a questioning of, of fashion and beauty myths and, 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 and trends. Um, and so we're constantly looking to keep pushing those series forward. And then we are piloting series ideas that we develop in house. So we do, I have a whole commissioning team. We're constantly looking for new ideas. Uh, we have filmmakers pitch ideas to us. We develop them out in house and take them out to filmmakers to, to do treatments for. And in terms of the branded work, which is a small percentage of, of what you see on the site, the power of our and reach of our audience is such that in order to make the 150 or so films that we premiere that are made in-house a year, we have to make a small percentage of those are in partnership with brands. Um, so, but when we're looking at new series, it's that combination. And then when brands come with, come to us, we may have a series idea that we really love, but we haven't been able to quite find mm. the right angle to. And actually that brand's values brings an added twist that we think could be really exciting. So we'll present that idea, but we also do bespoke creative development. So with Audi, they came to us through the untaggable campaign and we then develop bespoke in response to that. And it's always about working hand in hand. So you're, you're looking for the best creative solution. And you're also helping normally at this early stage of uh, branded work, you're you're trying to help a brand move out of its comfort zone and move out of of, an overt commercial approach and to one that's that's thematic and resonant and and feels more like sponsorship or, or partnership than here is my message written doing what it says on the tin. Mm -hmm. So it's, in an ideal world they're sort of part of the creative process yeah they should always be part of the creative process you're not going to bring anyone on a journey with you any partner on a journey with you unless you're properly collaborating with them in the process and there'll be times that we'll we'll have feedback and there'll be things that we want to push back against but it's about opening up and explaining and finding the right path through differences in vision and i think at the end of the day, a brand will always know their brand incredibly well. They know the core audience they want to get to. We know our form of storytelling very well at Nowness and we know our audience very well. So there's rather than seeing it as you leave it to us, we know what to do. There are two sets of expertise there. And if we can join them and meld them in the right way and weave them together, you have the potential to impact and become even bigger than that. So it can be tricky at times, but it's always a really productive process if you take the time to do it properly. Mm. Who are your audience? Our audience is a uh, true properly global. We have on average on a nowness film, we have a reach of about 15 million. Um, we have a really highly engaged community on the website so people can join the community of the website and you can rate films and comment and curate playlists and be part of 
the the kind of closest part of the nowness universe um it's fairly evenly split around the globe when it started it was more in kind of western europe north america because that was where the most of the content was coming from but we very purposely look to expand our reach we have editors in china that help us talk about our work out there we're also working with filmmakers from countries all around the world and telling stories not necessarily in the english language our the nowness player has subtitles in 10 different languages so we're always looking to have access it's also not a purely millennial audience it's in marketing terms it's very abc1 um it's fairly it's culturally engaged there are people that are inquisitive and they want to know about dance and architecture and design and theater and film uh, all aspects of culture uh they're also very savvy in terms of interesting storytelling they're people that are probably going to see films at curzon and picture house um so in a in a global context and they're also fairly well educated and the age spread is now quite even it's really interesting that we've been growing and growing our kind of the in those different splits the 18 to 25s has always been quite strong but we're now growing much more equally the uh categories kind of above that people in the 30s 40s 50s 60s and the gender split is down the line 50 50. Mm. well it's a it's a beautifully designed experience um, i was very very um uh, won over by it and i would if, if anyone has, hasn't checked it out i would recommend um just looking at the director series in the first instance there's some wonderful um uh, and original interviews with um with some very interesting storytellers so that's one one point of entry which i would uh which i'd highly recommend the nicholas winding reffin one is brilliant i just i'd never i'd never seen him talk quite like that before so was that branded by the way just to... uh no that's not a branded okay. one that's uh so that was the first commission into the director's talk series after i started and it was really, really interesting because, you know, you get offered a, a platform like Nowness has a lot of power and reach into audiences like that. It was when the Neon Demon was about to be released. Yeah. Um, and we were offered all the usual junket and, and kind of press access. And we said, no, no, the whole point of Nowness is you'll tell something in a different way. And so it will actually have more resonance with the audience that you're looking for. And that's, that's, that one is a really good example of how the nowness process works. So we'd seen this opportunity to talk to Nick. We, the Neon Demon was super, you know, amazing in terms of its visual style. It had lots and lots of the, the, the kind of nowness aesthetic to it. And then what we did was think about who would be a great filmmaker to, to tackle this and to turn it on its head to think about interviewing a director in a really different way. Mm-hmm. So Toby Amys, who made an amazing documentary called The Man Whose Mind Exploded, kind of came back really, really quickly and said, we should give him an eye test. He's really famously colorblind. That's why his uh, films have such strong color palettes. And let's talk to him about that. Let's give him physically an eye test and we thought that's you know cheeky at, mm. at, uh, to say the least but they responded really well nick was really up for it and 
But what was even more interesting is in the process of doing that, in the in approaching an interview like that in a different way, he talks about his colorblindness and we have a bit of that in the film. But what he really opened up about and what he didn't talk about is how his dyslexia mm-hmm. and, and the sense of having a disability actually has informed his approach and his storytelling and his his both his place in the world and therefore his view of the world much more, which again, like you say, I'd never heard and, and was really a, a wonderful thing to unlock. And that's what we're always looking for. We're looking for that. I call it kind of the grit in the oyster. We have something beautiful. We have an amazing piece of talent in the film. But what else can we do? How can we try and push the boundary? And what, what's the thing that will stop and really make an audience look and engage and, and watch all the way through? Mm-hmm. Do you acquire stuff or is it all in-house? So we, the way that we work in terms of films, we, most of the films that you'll see in our premiere slot, in our stories of the day, which are released on a Monday, Wednesday and a Friday are films that Nowness has commissioned. Some are films in our debut slots. We have different kind of areas and it's like scheduling would be on a channel. The different kind of time slots would be the, the linear media way of talking about it. Uh, are films that filmmakers have approached us with and want us to premiere for them. They want okay. Nowness to be the first channel to put it out there. And then later on down the line, they'll put it on their own Vimeo channel, et cetera, et cetera. But we have a huge filmmaking community around the world that loves Nowness, comes to it for inspiration themselves and wants to be seen on that channel as part of that community. So we do premieres for people. We also do a small amount of branded um, placement films, but that's only when it's a film that we think is is right for the channel. We say we probably say no to more films than we say yes to in terms of putting them in the slots because, again, our curation integrity has to come first. And there's also an area of the site called Nowness Picks is where we're curating the best of the rest of the web. So we'll look at great music videos that have just dropped or a really amazing supercut that we found someone's done on Vimeo and we'll put those up on the site as another way of sort of helping our audience find inspiration and celebrating what other people are doing out there too. You're listening to Film Disruptors with me, Alex Stoltz, and I'm talking to Anna Higgs of Nowness. And in this section, Anna talks about her experiences at Film 4, where she designed and built audience initiatives at a development stage of film's life cycle and she provides advice about how emerging storytellers can do the same yeah so the role was holistic Mm. essentially Mm. and that was when um when i was talking to at the time tessa was the head of film four and the team in the kind of interview process for the job my my angle and my strategy I said this has to be something that thinks both about protecting and enabling the unique visions of filmmakers but also has to think about audience from the outset the idea that innovation for me in all of my experience works best if it's a properly holistic approach you can't just bolt on digital like a marketing plan gets bolted on at the end you've got to work with those approaches and and thinking about how you might take risks and how you might try something new from the earliest seed of an idea and like all development you have to accept that not all all of them will come off you might have hundreds of projects on your slate and you're making film for at the time i was there were making maybe 12 features a year so it's really important i think to understand the that conversion ratio too that you've got to try a lot of things and plant a lot of seeds and explore that treasure map again um 
in quite broad ways to to find the stuff when you're trying to break new ground that that makes it out there mm. so really at development stage you were thinking about ways to bring in audience engagement into the project at, at that point yes very much so and and working with the filmmakers to do that so thinking about why is this important and you know fundamentally just from a purely commercial perspective it's important for independent film because more and more films are being released every week less and less opportunity to get to audience so if you can think about how you might expand your story world and the mo was thinking about that from a story perspective and so from enabling the filmmakers to be part of that and to lead that as much as possible how can we build a bigger and wider story world for films like you were talking about earlier that aren't from a recognizable property they're not part of a franchise or a pre-existing character how can we have audiences invest in stuff from an earlier stage and think in a in a bigger and more interesting way to to ensure that when the film is at the cinema it gets seen Mm. Mm. yeah um and i think that's a really interesting way to approach it it's not about diluting your vision it's about expanding it Exactly. It's it's very much about helping that to happen and really ensuring it's not about diluting the vision. I mean, ultimately, my first conversation with the filmmaker would always be, you're making a film. So this is the idea of this is a public engagement, unless you're only going to show it to yourself. Um, that, that sense of you do have a responsibility to audience to communicate things to audience. And there are myriad ways of doing that. But Ultimately, we need to think about that. And particularly in the independent sector, we need to think harder and harder about that. So the, you know, it was really, really interesting working with the range of filmmakers and the storytellers that I got to work with at Film 4 and and how responsive they were to the process. Some really embraced it from the get-go. Ben Wheatley and his producer, Andy Stark, on a field in England were phenomenal. You know, Ben is great at working in a really agile way. And the focus that 100% funding the film, which was part of the, the model that we followed for that, enabled him to do that and to focus down and, and was probably quite liberating, I think. Um, and Ian Forsyth and Jane Pollard on 20,000 Days on Earth had a, quite a strong digital background. They were artists and they'd worked in the digital space a lot already. So thinking about the project holistically came really naturally to them. That was probably the, I, there was no evangelizing necessary on my part or no kind of ex- exploration of what this would be. They came in wanting to do that from the outset. And others were, more a process of step-by-step education and and kind of just opening up the process and sharing examples and supporting them. What would you say to filmmakers or storytellers who are working, I guess, outside of a institution like Film 4 and putting together their budget for their projects? How How integral do you see this kind of activity I think it is really, really tough. I think funders do need to get smarter about funding some of this work up front. And that was something we did a lot at Film 4. We actually had to change how deals were put together because we were putting stuff that would normally be shunted away into P&A down the line mm. up front and making it a part of development. In terms of emerging filmmakers, I would say think about your audience from day one. It won't dilute your vision because 
ultimately in that filmmaking process you are your own first audience you're saying to yourself is this idea good and you're asking you're pushing and pulling at the idea and then your producer is helping you do that you're the writer if you're not a writer director and think about ways that feel true to you what's the right form for your story what do you want to say then what's the best way to say it it, it might be that it's not always a traditional feature film might it be better in a series for tv might it be multi-platform but i think if you feel if you do go multi-platform, I the biggest thing I say is don't feel obliged to do something on all platforms. I see so many projects pitched at the big kind of digital forums around different various markets in the world that have done something for every single social media in existence and every single digital tool in existence because they feel that's what multi-platform is. Actually, if there's what is true to your world. Um, on Frank, we thought, okay, the character is a musician he's trying to get famous he's on twitter he's talking to the void on twitter he'd use instagram and he'd use soundcloud because that's where young emerging talent share their work so those are the platforms that we bedded his story in we didn't feel he had to have facebook and he had to have this and he had to have that we focused it down quite closely and i think digital the joy of digital experimentation is it is fairly cheap if not free um, and it can be a really interesting place to sort of storyboard and to test ideas you can think about story development in a slightly new way you can put things out there and see what an audience reacts to there was a great article i read recently that, that kind of distills something for me in terms of how you communicate with audience i can't remember sadly who it's by i should look up who it is so i can credit them properly but the idea, I think it's a place like BuzzFeed, um, mm -hmm. but the notion in editorial meetings, they ask of what is the emoji you want someone to click on on Facebook when they watch this? Because a like is no longer enough. Mm -hmm. Do you want them to click the heart button, the laughing button, the wow button, the sad crying face or the angry face? Which button do you want? And it's that, that thinking about what what engagement, what emotional connection, what emotional spark do you want to create with this? And I think there are all sorts of ways that you can do that with social media. I think uh, Hope Dixon Leach did that really well on the levelling, um, the film that she did for Eye Features, and she's gone on to win the IWC Bursary Prize. And they've had a really interesting journey through sharing some really funny and quite playful stuff of behind the scenes stills on Instagram and then sharing their festival journey and talking about where they're going and what they're doing and how they're working to get the film out there. And I think it creates a connection. It's something that you understand the difficulty of being an independent filmmaker and getting out there and, and the work it takes in making a film itself, but also then making the film reach an audience and getting out there and helping it live in the world. So there's lots of ways to do it. Don't feel like you have to do everything and really, really push the funders that you have to understand this is vital at the beginning. Because actually, if you're a young emerging filmmaker, you probably know it's vital. Um, it's helping convince the gatekeepers of that. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. And I'd say, for God's sake, don't do VR just because it's the current hot <laughs> technology. You're listening to Film Disruptors with me, Alex Stoltz. And in this final section, Anna Higgs talks about Windows, audience behaviour, and provides further advice for emerging filmmakers about how they can bring in the widest possible audience. Just wanted to touch briefly on a field in England. You mentioned it. 
uh, and it's it's been a couple of years now uh, since that bold experiment uh, which saw the film released across every platform <laughs> simultaneously uh, and there hasn't been anything of its kind since and and some developments i suppose in in the simultaneous theatrical and digital but it's it's still very much on, on the edges i mean what were do you have a perspective of where that's heading or where or where we are on that what, what's, yeah. what's, the, what's the legacy of a field in england's release well i i it does feel really weird to still be at the forefront of something from like three years ago yeah. um I think it's still a really rich theme that could be mined by the right broadcasters. I think ultimately the the legacy of it is a really interesting one. I think the best insight that came out of our research is we got really strong cinema numbers and the cinema attendees knew that it was free to watch on TV at exactly the same time. They left their house, paid their money and gone and sat in a cinema to watch that film. So the fact that they knew it was available on all of these platforms and had the, the least barriers in the world possible to it on film four and they still went out is, is extraordinary to me and is something that's really important, I think, for that traditional sort of cinematic exhibition world to understand that what I try to do in all of the kind of innovation work that I've been a part of is it's not disruption for disruption's sake. It's actually, for me, it's more about innovation and it's more about saying we actually have to work really, really hard to protect the glory and the wonder of cinema. I am still just as obsessed about cinema as I ever have been, but people have, not everyone gets to live near an art house cinema and not everyone can afford to go to the cinema as frequently as they might like. And there are other things in that battle for attention now that there didn't used to be. So we do need to think of new ways in partnership really vitally. It's not pitting people or formats or uh, points of access against each other. Again, if we think holistically, we can hopefully save and support everyone and not sort of see ourselves dwindle into uh, irrelevance because we haven't kept up. I think digging back into sort of how it was done, the thing that still needs to be mined is, for me, the approach was really only possible on a field in England because we 100% financed it. That was really important to give it that strong singular foundation so you actually limited the number of partners that you need i didn't have to convince five other financiers of of the way that we would do things and subaru smith at film four and i worked really hard on that with brilliant filmmakers in andy and ben who were completely up for that and we actually really embraced exploring what was a disruption at the time and we really quickly found a theatrical partner in picture house who were incredibly positive and leapt in with us and thought that this would be a really interesting experiment because they believe just like i do in that power of cinema and it's it's great that the results bore that out um I'd love to see more features made in those protected ways because I think that's how you also can ensure that they're really bold you know field in England isn't Doctor Strange it's a black and white English Civil War set film that involves lots of people tripping on mushrooms or are they um and 
you know, I'm, I'm really happy to see the BFI who've announced in their latest strategy, they'll fully fund. It's great to see that part of our model being picked up. But I think that fully financing films at those low budgets mean that you can be bolder and you can control the rights and you can control how you partner with people in quite a unique way in a world where it's ever, ever more financial partners and complexities as films are pieced together. Um, I would have loved to see it done with films, for example, like Locke or Prevenge, which is coming out today, Alice Lowe's brilliant new film. There, I think you, films that have a real attention grabbing and a real clear, solid hook are films that could, can really benefit from this sort of approach, I think, because ultimately you want people to get out to see it. And the results on field, we did a calculation of how many people had seen it across that model, across it, TV, VOD, DVD, cinema, etc. And it equated to the opening weekend of Captain America. So it co- equated to a multi-million dollar box office opening weekend, which is really exciting mm. for a, a small independent British film mm. that would be considered, you know, tiny and specialist and may in a normal model only have gone out on a couple of uh, screens. And, you know, in a way, like you said, it's happening with the likes of Netflix moving into feature film commissioning. They're fully financing. They're mixing the theatrical model up a bit. But I think there's way more scope to do this and for it actually to be a really pretty interesting commercial opportunity if done right. Um, I really love, for example, the work that's being done by the likes of A24. They, you know, they started out as more of a distributor but they're now a really powerful indie label with great taste and and a really refreshing attitude to backing brilliant filmmakers with visions that others might see as risky i think for me now i the the kind of key players in the space i'm not sure who's going to come through i'm really excited to see what the bfi do in terms of release patterns with those 100 percent finance films but in the simultaneous model i think the space is probably going to be taken or should be taken by a really smart brand and they could capture that whole space. I think moving from that notion of something like sponsorship, if you think about like the Stellar Artois screens or those those really smart VW ads that are see cinema differently that you see in uh, the kind of everyman's and curtains and such, uh, you think about the average cost of a commercial, you can make like five independent feature films for that. And a brand, if it has the patience, could benefit so well from that if they want to see themselves connected to something as culturally powerful as cinema. So that would be, as as allergic as I am to futurology, that would be the sort of territory that I'd be watching. Well, it's a great opportunity. I think um, I think you've given yourself a, a challenge there, Anna, to um, <laughs> do that deal um, because you're obviously you're very well placed to 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 pick that up with your connection with brands and everything. I think that's a fantastic idea. So we're coming to the end of our time. You've already answered my final question, which was adv- what would be your advice to emerging filmmakers or emerging storytellers and i think you gave some really powerful advice there about thinking about audiences and experimenting and and looking for that feedback are there any um are there any specific digital no not digital not necessarily digital any specific audience trends that you've observed at the moment which you think it'd be great if more independent filmmakers or storytellers were aware of these or aware of how audiences were behaving online? Um, I think in terms of sort of online behaviours, again, I wouldn't get led by the pervasive 
approach that, you know, people are constantly decrying that attention spans are shrinking. They're not. Otherwise, how is Netflix the, the kingdom of all binge watching? Um, an Amazon Prime series, the whole sense of attention spans diminishing wholesale is just untrue, really demonstrably. I would say what you've got to be doing is making great stuff. Um, I would think about also that, again, think about yourself as first audience. What are you seeing online that engages you? How could you adapt that into your own storytelling in your own world? And what are you seeing that really puts you off? I'm I can't believe currently the state of, of a good deal of theatrical trailers that are giving away the ends of films in their one minute, 30 or two minute running time in a cinema. It's, I'm kind of amazed that filmmakers aren't crying <laughs> by, mm-hmm. and calling their distributors every five minutes. You know, the, that art form that is, you can tell a story without telling the whole story. And I think trust your vision actually more and more because what audiences want and what I'm really learning at Nowness is to be surprised and to be uh, trusted and to be uh, taken on a journey. They want to see something bold and they don't want to see something reductive that has only 30 seconds running time and is all headliney and clickbaity and doesn't really deliver on what it's promising. And I would say, it's also about listening to them, show them things that they want to see. Uh, audiences want to see stories that reflect their lives. There's a there's a real question around representation at the moment. Uh, people don't want to be con- condescended to. They want variety. And I think if you can make incredible stuff available to particularly younger audiences as cheaply and as accessibly as possible, you have a huge amount of power in in opening up new uh, dialogues with your audience and opening up um, the the space to take more risks and the space to to say new things in new ways. I think you look at a film like Moonlight uh, and you can see how demonstrably true and sort of powerful that that approach of a singular vision and knowing the way that you want to tell a story and not telling it in a directly straightforward way can be an incredible experience for both filmmakers and audiences alike. Well, I think that's a wonderful way to end things. Um, So thank you very much, Anna. It was lovely to chat. My pleasure. If you'd like to find out more, check out the home of Film Disruptors, Alex Stoltz, Dot com, that's S-T-O-L-Z, where you can download today's show notes, sign up for updates, and get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening, and look forward to seeing you again soon. Soon.